When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. This week, we're returning to the lo-fi, twee-haunting world of Night School Studios' Oxenfree with a look at the standalone sequel, Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals. Set five years after the events of Oxenfree, the player controls series newcomer Riley, who's taken a job in her hometown of Kamina to investigate radio anomalies. Though upon her arrival, a portal opens over everyone's favorite ghostly landmass, Edwards Island, and Riley and co-worker Jacob set out to close the portal. So just last week, we talked and speculated about Oxenfree 2. Now that we've finally gotten a chance to play it, um, what did you think of the larger setting of Kamina? Because, you know, when we played this during Tribeca last year, it was this small little slice. It was a more just sort of the internal uh, sort of mining system that you explore periodically yeah. throughout this and whatnot, but it didn't really give us a sort of taste of what the overall world of Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals would look like. And now, you know, we know that this is a much bigger world than what was on Edwards Island and whatnot. So I'm curious for you, like, how did that expanding of the world play out? Did you, were you a fan of this environment that was much, you know, much more spacious? I mean, you know, aesthetically, it was wonderful to look at, you know, uh, but I must admit at first it was a bit overwhelming, you know, just like it felt a bit, you know, hard to sort of gauge where you go, how you do it, you know, stuff that was kind of similar in the early hours of uh, Oxen Free, uh, but where you kind of get, you have to get your bearings as to how you get to this point, to that point. But now, you know, with this bigger map, Bill Ryan and thing, it's like, I mean, it makes you study the map in a way that I, I was not expecting. Uh, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, so once it gets into its groove, it, it does just feel like a much bigger place. And, you know, I love the fact that in many occasions, on many occasions, you just see Edwards Island in the background. And yeah. you know, that that's always there, pretty you know, haunting the story, if you will. <laughs> and, yeah, I think it's done a good job of making it bigger without making it obese, if you will. You know, it is just 
expanded in so many ways and i think it works it really does work quite well it doesn't lose the texture of the original oxen for no. which was definitely my fear as well because i you know purposefully didn't go into this game researching a lot about it or even looking up anything after that um, brief demo that we played because i was like well you know it's more oxen free and there's a new mechanic with going into tears and going back in time to solve puzzles which i thought was intriguing and it seemed like a smart sort of building upon the original. So mm. I didn't look much into it. And I definitely had that moment early on when I fired up Oxenfree 2 where I was like, oh, fuck me, this is a huge map. And all of a sudden got like sort of overwhelmed with, you know, making sure <laughs> like, oh, am I going to find everything? Am I going to get lost? This or that. And then that went away within probably the first hour of playing because they really did do a fantastic job, I think, of making the world bigger as you said, but it doesn't lose the intricacies of what make, you know, the world interesting, what make it haunting. But at the same time, you know, I think giving you know, the artists of this game, if you will, a much bigger palette, you know, to or Ooh, canvas yeah. to explore their sort of very singular art style that this game has, which, you know, is something that we kind of raved about last week when we talked about Oxen Free and how this yeah. game has a very signature art style to it and a look to it and how... It's, if anything, I would describe it as being a relaxing horror game in some ways. And some ways, if anything, yeah. I've only found that to grow more with the sequel because it's such a bigger world. You, of course, are going to spend more time wandering and exploring to a degree that, you know, there's a fair bit of backtracking. So I kind of found this to be even more relaxing outside of the main story beats of just like exploring Kamina and whatnot. And as you said, always having Edwards Island in the background for some of the environments, I thought was a great sort of way of allowing this game to be its own thing while still being connected to that universe, mm. never letting you forget that it has a connection to Oxenfree 1. But this is really how I would want to make a standalone sequel because I would say, you know, three-fourths of this game, you don't need to have any prior knowledge of the original Oxenfree no. to enjoy it's that last fourth that is so heavily reliant on the story beat and whatnot that, you know, you do need to know a fair bit about Oxen Free uh, and the story and how that played out and everything to really get a greater understanding of it. But when so little of the experience overall is focused on the original, yeah. I think that's like the best case scenario for a standalone sequel. And so many of them claim they'll do that. But then, you know, you have all these little nods and things that are kind of shoved down your throat throughout an experience and that does isn't really the case with oxen free 2 which i was very pleasantly surprised to find yeah i mean there were bits of it where seeing you know the little obvious nods where you kind of have to for story reasons when referencing sure. you know edwards island and what happened there like that but you know I, it almost felt like a bit of red herring to sort of say you know yeah we're going to mention it we're going to yeah but this is a different story you know we're going in a different way and i think actually it works as quite a great companion piece because of where they go with the story and what they do with everything. You get this synergy, I suppose, it's the best word for it, that, uh, between this story and the last, um, even without even without a connection connection, you know, between them, like that, you know, in terms of characters. I just think that they follow very similar themes, you know, and as a sequel, I think it has this very thematic thing of carrying the baggage of development from this breakout hit to the things that came in between, like After Party and now this, and, you know, having to return to this place and 
you know, face the expectations and the legacy of, of that and, and essentially being haunted by that. And yeah, I think by the time it all sort of plays out, it, I think that's where it just impressed me the most. The, the further I got in, you know, when I got to the end of that story, for me, it really just, everything just clicked together perfectly at that point. I was like, great. Now, yeah, now I see it. Sometimes you, you do, you know, you watch a movie, play a game, read a book, and you'll be going for it for a lot of the time thinking, yeah, it's okay. I like this. You know, there's some good bits. But I'm not, I'm not sure if this is having the same impact the last one had on me, which is understandable because, you know, that was, we talked at length last week about why Oxenfree was so important and what it did. Um, especially in sort of revising that sort of telltale formula and making it into something fresh and new. You know, and they've done it again. Yeah, you know, again, you know, it's yeah. it it's fresh again in in sort of how it goes about those uh, choices and even in showing you your choices. Yeah, you know, I found quite fascinating towards the end and the way they handled that. You know, um, if you remember at the beginning, uh, at the end of um, the original game, you had that sort of board of this amount of players did this, this amount of players yep. did that, and here you get. The same thing, but it's integrated into the storytelling as well, you know. So you get the percentages and stuff like that, but it's whilst you're still being told a part of what's going on. And I found that really quite a touching way of doing it, and you know, and clever actually. You know, it's um, a simple job, but they, I think, it is one of those games where you do just have to see it through to the end to really get every single drop out of it and really get the most out of it and it, it sounds bizarre to say that but again it is story led where you know the point is see the whole thing but, you know people do just drop off games you know after an hour and say nope you know I'm done with this uh, you know even if it's five hours I'm not carrying on any further well and maybe this is just something that I experienced with it but that resonates with me because I did find with as large of as the world is and that's going to have an impact on the pacing right of what's mm. going on to a certain degree and i did find that periodically there were stretches and the game took me about seven hours i think to beat there definitely were small stretches like 30 or 45 minutes at a time where i was doing things that didn't necessarily feel like they had a great impact on the overall narrative and sometimes even I was just like, oh, what am I doing again? Which then, you know, we can talk about um, one of the newest mechanics, which is the even bigger map and more detailed map. But also you have this little inventory log that tracks what you've been doing. Yeah. But I definitely found that periodically I didn't feel like I was that involved in the story, but I was too caught up in just exploring the world and how much I enjoyed once again, returning to the sort of just gorgeous art style and music and the vibes mm. that are very singular to Oxenfree. And yet, you know, when those story moments did pop up, I instantly kind of reconnected with these characters and their individual plights. And that was something I wanted to talk about up front, because unlike in Oxenfree, the original, when you had this band of five characters, this time around, a majority of it is just Riley and her coworker, Jacob. Mm. And then the way in which they kind of address the fact that, oh, there's only two characters really ever on screen for a majority of the game. You have a walkie-talkie now, which you can use to communicate with other people on the island, which I didn't mind the inclusion of that. And if anything, I probably preferred it because if anything, it makes the narrative and the focus between Riley and Jacob's relationship that much more 
well, focused, um, which I think was an issue that I had with the original Oxenfree when I went back and replayed it. It was like, and I think we even mentioned it in our chat that there were so many core characters in that main party that, of course, there's going to be people that you can't yeah. give a great deal of focus to who then end up feeling like characters that aren't necessarily super important to the narrative. And Oxenfree 2, I found, largely rectifies that with the inclusion of the walkie because you're aware that there are other people involved in this, but they have varying degrees of importance, so you're not going to hear or see them all that often. It's up to the player's discretion or if they get to a certain point in the game where you know they trigger a side quest or something along those yeah. lines. What did you think, though, of the walkie-talkie system and the much smaller core party? Yeah, I, well, I think the smaller core party is helped by the fact that you had this, again, a very thematic sort of jump to a more, an older uh, frame of mind in having two older characters. You, uh, they have re- problems. They have the baggage that would have happened between you know, the time, of, you know, the age of the original bunch and you know, them becoming adults. So you, you can kind of get that. And you know, one of the most intriguing things early on is you know you get these little hints of what Jacob might have in his past and what Riley might have in her past. And, you know, it's not all, you know, simple problems and easy solutions to fix everything. And which again, works brilliantly for what's going on. But yeah, I just think that the walkie talkie system is beneficial. If you're really going for it, I think it ends up giving it, you know, the player, the choice, as you said, to, you know, go with it or not, you know, in a lot of cases, um, you know, you get a lot of it initially, you know, with Shelley and, you know, and later with other people. But yeah, it was sort of nice to occasionally get this out of the blue, you know, walkie-talkie call from someone and you don't know them and like that. And even those can be affected by the things that happen you know, in terms of like the time loops and changes and all that. So as a nice aside, I, I was... Like cool, but it just started to feel like oh, I'm trying. To, I kind of want to see where the main story goes on this playthrough and just get through that. So you know, I kind of pushed it to the side. You know, a lot of the time, I think there's only one or two times where it was like I happened to be in the area, happened to be close to what they wanted, easy sort of job. You know, that that's that. Um, yeah, and so in that regard, it's not intrusive, and it, it's beneficial when you do do it in not significant ways, but in sort of, you know, a little bit of flavor to the world, which I think for the storytelling device they're using is probably the best way to go about it. If you can have extra stuff. I really did like the sporadic nature of those calls that you mm. receive while you're exploring, because it doesn't allow the system of the walkie talkie to ever be all that predictable. You know what I mean? Like if chances are, if you saw like a major landmark and every time you saw a major landmark, you had to then, you know, get a call and have like an exposition dump yeah. about what that thing is. That would be a little more intrusive than I want, but I like the level of intrusiveness of the walkie where it can be just very sporadic. You're wandering around, you get that call, which then can trigger what is one of the, also the new benefits of having an open and more open world is that you can have these uh, side missions, basically, mm. which you know give you a little bit more context for uh, Kamina and whatnot and the residents. And you understand the relationship of a coastal town within Edwards Island a little bit more between the industry and whatnot and the effects that that has on people that live there full time. And overall, I thought that that was a smart way to kind of replace 
what was essentially in the original game, those like museum touristy kind of signs that you would come to a landmark, you'd flick on your radio to a frequency and it'd give you this kind of droll, I suppose, this history lesson mm. for a specific area. And this felt a lot more natural in a way to make this seem like a lived in place because it's more reflective of a local individual telling you about it rather than some pre-recorded message or something along those lines. Um, it also made just exploring exciting too, right? I think that's yeah. part of it. Like whenever you play a game that has exploration being a focal point of it, if it's only tied to the main story or the main objective, it doesn't feel nearly as exciting because it's preordained, right? This is the yeah. the trajectory of the story. These are the beats. These are the moments that trigger things. And so when you're going along maybe off the beaten path and you stumble upon something that triggers something that's inconsequential to the main narrative, but it further, you know, understands and kind of enthralls the player in this world of Kamina and whatnot. Like that was very rewarding, I found. Yeah. And I liked, again, that you were able to refine the focus onto the two main characters that matter and everybody else is pushed to the background a little bit, but that's what you want from those secondary characters, I yes. find. Um, and I found that that was much more in line with, I suppose, what I want, but also it's beneficial to the narrative that's being told in the second game. Because as mm. you said, like this is a much more mature story uh, compared to the other one. And I think that I resonated with this story and was interest interested by the story a lot more than I was in the previous game. And that's not, you know, to necessarily take a massive dig at the original Oxen Free, but I think I even mentioned in our chat last week that I was like, the older I get, the teen sort of relationship angles and those things, like I don't find them nearly as engaging. That's just me. And for this, specifically like playing characters that are my age, like I just find their situation a lot more relatable before the ghosts even show up, before the sun can show up, right? So they're characters that I'm easier to get on board with. And if anything, it makes me want to explore the dialogue options and even be more sort of tuned in for their dialogue when I'm conversing with a character, just so I can learn more about them or just more about, you know, what has happened previous to their sort of uh, communion on Kamina. Yeah. And I think one of the big helps here is that Riley, you know, who's, who you are predominantly, it makes it more sense that she's, you know, sarcastic she's you know, a bit grumbling about things and given what we learn about her it makes more sense the way she is but she never feels mean with it you know i think you know i think that understandable in the case of alex where it was kind of a teenage petulance you know and grief of, and guilt uh sort of pushed her to be the way she could be at times and but it felt really odd to be mean as alex at the same time where you know here, Riley just pokes fun, you know, in, in, sort of in that sarky way, and it fits better. And Jacob's kind of a really good foil for that. Uh, you know, he's generally just like, you know, you know he kind of gets that it's a joke, and even if his feelings are hurt little, he's not letting on too much about it. You know, I suppose, yeah, less of that drama that you know you have when your your emotions are going wild uh, at a younger <laughs> age. Um, but yeah, you know, all the same. Very much connective, I think, in terms of where you think the characters coming from in each game, you know, and what they've dealt with or are dealing with. Um, while they may be different and at different stages of their life, 
you can see how you know that can bog people down and i think yeah it, it's one of those things where if you don't have the right people around that character it kind of just would come off as being mean-spirited or just immature which it worked for the first game here you needed that sort of more casual back and forth you know making them strangers effectively who, who once knew each other in school is a nice callback as well and yeah that that really just makes the whole riley and jacob thing really intriguing and likable sort of thing you know I'm, as you said yourself no knock to the original game in terms of the characters but I, I really did just sort of resonate, you know, with these characters more. You know, I think, which is, you know, the original game is kind of like a kind of a nostalgia for a time you didn't really have. You know, it's like, where you oh, it'd been cool to sort of hang out on this island every summer and with your pals sure. and do that. That'd be amazing. You know, I've done things, you know, hang out on beaches and do beach parties and things like that but in my youth. But, you know, sort of fast forwarding to a view of now, just it was nice to have that sort of more adult relatable experience where I think it's often handled that well in many games. So here it was um, done really well. I think given all the supernatural stuff you have going on, it was a quite a human story. Well, that's what I was pretty worried about in terms of going into the sequel and being fearful that perhaps the amount of development time between the original and the new game and whatnot, it's like, oh, there's going to be a lot more emphasis on the production value and maybe even branching out the styles of gameplay that then the writing, which was so phenomenal in the original game and very personable and whatnot, might take a little bit more of a backseat in the sequel or something like that, mm. especially when you learn that there's only two primary characters, right? Uh, instead of this sort of a uh, gaggle of a group that was on Edwards Island and whatnot. And that really isn't the case. And if anything, they have the same level of personality and just personableness between those two characters, Riley and um, Jacob. And as you said, you know, the humor is so smartly used here in a way that we rarely see, not only in horror games, but in games in general, right? I think it's something yeah. we've talked about plenty of times, how difficult it is to make humor work in games. And they do such a good job of having Riley dance that line of being poking at fun, but also, you know, coming, being down to business sometimes with what they have to get done. And it is this really lovely balance to see, not just feel like, oh, they just took what worked with Alex and they're just doing it with Riley because Riley really is her own protagonist with her own set of issues and baggage and these things. And while the player is going to influence the outcome of certain decisions, at the same time, they feel like decisions that make sense for Riley, which yeah. is not always the case when you come to storytelling that's based on player choice. Sometimes you might have a game that gives the player a certain amount of options, but all those options feel like it's playing out from three different player, uh, three different characters. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas with this, it's oh no, it's this character that's making three distinctly different decisions that at least feel like they resonate from the same place of being that character and their baggage and their history. Um, and I really did feel that with Oxenfree 2, it's not just taking these characters and making them personable in new ways, but they really did flesh out the world of Oxenfree, yes. which comes into play when you deal with uh, Kamina, the coastal town, and the cult, the parentage, mm. and their influence in that town and whatnot, who have basically 
sprouted up after the events of the original Oxenfree and have built this kind of cult around the uh, radio anomalies and the kind of spookiness that's been happening in the area. And, you know, I think on a replay, if I did a little bit more digging into the cult, I would get even more out of them. Yeah. But I think that overall, again, it was nice to see the same level of attention or at least getting there uh, in terms of fleshing out the world and the other players outside of just the core character that you're controlling and, you know, hanging out with for a majority of the time. Yeah, you do need a bit of that. I think, as you say, the, it, maybe it's not as readily apparent, you know, much about the yeah. cult unless you sort of dig into it the first time. And they do kind of feel like they can sort of flit in and out of the story. Possibly the point, you know, because, you know, as it goes, you know, they are just a pawn in the story, effectively. So, by the by, but it does just give you that little hook to say, you know, there's more to this world. Do you want to go and investigate more about this world and go through there? And, yeah, I think it was intriguing to have this sort of other mystery and a reason to sort of have all this keep happening you know and there be some sort of mystery to you know the the events that are happening in Kamina have some sort of purpose I suppose yeah and yeah the, the way that sort of goes and with the people you meet in that sort of cult it's yeah it's the next story, if you will, you know, in it, you know, there's this, everybody's dealing with something is pretty much the uh, theme of the Oxen Free games. And, you know, it's still very true here. It's just, you know, the focus is mainly on two people and it then sort of grows a bit as the game goes on to sort of include other people and doing that in a way that means that they sort of incorporate what you've already related to with the main two characters in other characters, you know, it's like, you know, would you do this in this situation? Well, yeah, you have a similar situation like that. Yeah, I'm of two minds. I like the inclusion of the cult because, like I said, it adds a little bit more to the world. It shows the complexities that have popped up in how the world has changed the events of the original Oxenfree, even if they're not you know, super apparent to everybody that's involved there. It's apparent to some people more than others. Mm. And I liked that you were introduced to three, I would say, you know, big air quotes, like antagonists that are related to the cult. Um, and the most notable one being Olivia, right? Who's this person that basically is trying to open up the rift that basically the player is trying to shut down, um, to close off from the sunken and whatnot. And we learn about Olivia and the fact that she's doing this because of the fact that she wants to bring back her parents, uh, or at least be with her parents, right? Yeah. Who have passed away. And, I thought that that was a natural feeling sort of arc for that character. Yeah. And, you know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but like by the end of the game, it felt like one of the most sort of gamey elements of the story, if that makes sense. Like when it comes time to make that big decision at the end of the game, it's kind of like, okay, you have a choice that you have to make between three people. And when one of them is basically the antagonist, the human antagonist of the game, it was kind of like, oh, this this is not nearly as impactful as I found it to be because it's kind of giving you an out, right? You spend all this time getting to know the characters of Riley and Jacob and forming a bond with those characters. And then the game asks you to like make this important decision. And it's like, well, who are you going to choose? Riley, Jacob, or this person that has been a thorn in your side. 
and at one point like told somebody that they should kill your character mm. um, and be like, oh, do we feel sympathy or do we kind of like sacrifice them to the choice that needs to be made? Um, so that was one of the things where I guess I'm of two minds because for a majority of the game, I was like, oh, no, this is a character who makes sense in this world. The motivation for what they're doing makes sense. But then when it actually comes time to make a decision about the fate of a character, it's kind of like what I did with Clarissa, where I was like, mm. oh, this person's been awful to my character the entire time. I'm not all that concerned about mending fences with her kind of thing. Um, what did you feel about kind of Olivia's arc? Well, here's where I found it to be quite fascinating. I think another good reason to have this through the eyes of adults is that you view Olivia the way you do because, you know, she's young and you know, highly strung, highly emotional, not able to deal with her grief properly and doing extreme things in order to get past it. And there are aspects of that character that are just Alex, you know, like that. Absolutely. But, you, but you're viewing it through an adult's eyes, so it comes across differently. They had that sort of bias, if you will. If you are playing as an adult, as an adult, you look on a teenager a bit differently when instead of being in their shoes and you know it all looks more reckless and silly and you're less forgiving of that but i think by the time you get towards the end of it and you do have all this discussion of how she feels and why and all this stuff and it's while it kind of gives an inevitability to what you would decide i think at the same time you you, you get a little bit of reluctance just in case of you know, I get it because I, I mean, we'll probably get into this in the second half when we'll do a bit more spoilery sure. stuff. But yeah. you know, I, I think you know, there's good reasons given to why there's an inevitability to certain things in this game. You know, and I think it's probably the smartest use of a choice system where it kind of does that thing where it subverts the idea of choice. You know, where we've always had this thing lingering over games of this ilk where people will just go well you don't really get choice because all these things don't get accounted for and it's like it's not really about that it's not about like some sort of micromanaging choice system where every fucking butterfly flat wing is going to take you off in some wildly different direction it'd be insane you know you, you would kill whatever console or PC you were playing on within five <laughs> minutes just by, by moving left or right, you know? So, you know, it's more about just... It's a moral quandary in some senses when you get these games normally, but I think here it's more of about acceptance, you know? And I think the games have a thing about the stages of grief, you know, and... Um, twist them into really interesting ways, which, again, we'll get into in the second half of it, I think. Sure, yeah. Uh, we will definitely unpack that, and we will also chat a little bit more about uh, some of the gameplay changes to Oxenfree 2, uh, as well as the overall production value, which I think uh, received a massive upgrading to an experience that already we'd uh, you know praised for having a really stellar sort of vibe to it, if you will, that felt yeah. very unique to the Oxenfree brand and whatnot. But we'll take a quick break and we come back, we'll dive into that and more. And we are back from our break and let's chat a little bit about the gameplay of Oxenfree 2. Yeah. Now, for the most part, 
this game plays very identical to the original. Yes. That's not to say that it's a negative necessarily. Um, but what I had found was the most intriguing aspect, and I suppose most people did from the Tribeca demo that we had played, was the fact that Riley can kind of tap into these tears yeah. in the different sections of Kamina Island or Kamina, the coastal town. And using the radio, you can tap into them, which then sends you back in time more often than not. So you can traverse some part of the environment that in the current day, you can't because of the age of, you know, infrastructure or mining collapse or these things. And so you go back in time to basically be able to access parts of an environment that you can't in the modern day. So I'm curious for you in terms of taking that core mechanic that we saw from the demo and then expanding it upon the rest of the game. Did you feel like they utilized that mechanic to sort of the best of its ability? Yeah, because I think it works in the same way that many of the mechanics work. It's used at the right moments, at the right time, not freeform. Yeah, it's yeah. These games are about structure as much as anything. And while there is a sense of choice, you are just going to play it in very game-wide sense to keep the story rolling, to keep the pace rolling. So you won't keep having the tears or you won't keep having to do the radio tuning stuff, which I think, I mean, here, the radio tuning stuff is very much more organized, I think, in terms of like, you know exactly when you've got to use it in pretty much every instance. And, you know, with the tears, far and few between, and, you know, they are like little set pieces in themselves where, you know, they are, as you said, just to go a different way around getting past an obstacle beyond, you know, you must find gate key one to get in here sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just a variation on a theme, a very pretty, you know, well-realized one, but still, if you're keeping things simple in in a small studio, it has to in a lot of ways, you just have to dress things up a bit differently. I think, um, yeah, I, I like that about it. It took that sort of time travel thing in a different direction without you know, the significant impact that was suggested at the end of the first game. And um, yeah, I, I think it's not a problem to have it being like that. You know, it, it can be simple. It, it doesn't have to add some massive gameplay change, which it, it doesn't, you know, uh, but it makes the game feel like there's a bit more variety to it, which is important, I think. And, you know, in terms of the story, it helps sort of dig into that history a bit more as Kamina. So I'm of two minds because I like the fact that they use the tear mechanic for purely gameplay sake, right? It doesn't Mm. kind of factor into this, like, what are the implications? How does this change the timeline or narrative? Because quite frankly, that's like the multiverse stuff. I'm just not particularly interested in. I think we're all fatigued by that uh, across all mediums at this point. So from that aspect, I liked it. And I did like the way in which it was employed periodically throughout this. I just kind of wish that there was more instances of it actually used. Um, Because if my memory serves me correct, there's probably only like three or four instances where you actually have to utilize a tear. And that's not saying that, you know, I needed that in, you know, the tens or the twenties in terms of examples of actually using a tear. But at the same time, I thought that it was going to be much more prevalent in different ways in which, you know, you would have puzzles incorporated into that, that make you dance between realities, perhaps in these things. 
And, you know, outside of one massive set piece that is probably one of my favorite set pieces of the game, which is when, you know, you run into the cultist group and you guys are in this church and then basically you start playing around with sort of tears and then the basically the church that you're running around in gets kind of like turned upside down. So mm-hmm. then you're climbing up the sides of the church and everything. And it's like being shifted in all of these very strange ways. And then, you know, you have a part where you have to go into the mines and you have to kind of find the year that the mine collapsed and then, you know, go back in time to get through parts of the mine and then access it in the present day. Yeah. But I was just expecting a lot more utilizations of that, considering how big Kamina is, the fact that this is a game that is probably twice the length of the original game. So I was a little disappointed that there weren't more uses of the tear mechanic because mm. it was by far the most interesting. And I found that the few instances of it were a smart inclusion that replaced what is now a mechanic that I am tired of after the sequel, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Um, And that's the radio mechanic. And in terms of, and I will say this, there are less locks and gates in these things that you need to use the radio to unlock. But every single time I come to a door that has to be unlocked with the radio and I have to sit there and scroll through all of these different (laughs) dials to find the right one. And then at one point you find a, basically like a radio extender, which doubles almost the size of the stations that you can come to. And I was like, Oh motherfucker, this just got twice as big. (laughs) So I've got twice as many little notches that I have to kind of scroll through. And it's a, it's a petty little thing to complain about, but I was hoping that there would be a little bit more, innovation in the gameplay and the puzzles because you know while i think oxen free the original does a great job of being a adventure game in the sense that it's mostly about exploring and being in this space and learning the history of the space and that's all well and good and it's done well in this game when it comes to the interactivity portion i think that i was expecting a little bit more from the things that evolve on the original rather than more continuing from what was in the original. Not that it was bad or broken in the original, but I was looking for something that pushed the gameplay, I feel, as much as they pushed the narrative and the overall production value to be a little bit larger in scope while still being as refined as the original. Um, You know, outside of that, I think, you know, the repelling mechanic, sure, it does more to add to the fact that you are this sort of mountaineer. You're exploring the wilderness, so yeah, that's a natural part of accessing parts of the environment. But outside of that, you know, I just wanted, I suppose, a little bit more in that regard from the gameplay. And that's Mm -hmm. not to say like you need some crazy drastic mechanic because we even see small mechanics related to puzzles, which are back in the original Oxen Free, there would be those machines that you would come across when there was a loop that you get stuck in. And you'd do this kind of like little thing where you just like move the mouse in a circle and it resets it. Well, that has been replaced with these kind of geometric 3D puzzles, which don't take a lot to solve, but I still liked them. I liked that it gave us variety and the new semblance of a puzzle that was a little more involving. Hmm. And those were really cool. Again, though, I just I wanted more of those. I wanted more complex puzzles in that regard. I mean, I wanted a little bit more of the new, if you will, to the gameplay. Um, I'm not going to say made or broke made or broke my uh, experience with the game, but I was just a little let down in that regard, I suppose, with uh, Oxenfree 2. Yeah, and that's understandable. I think it does just depend on what you go in for in terms of um, what you want from this. I suppose the biggest problem is if you play 
that demo is that you know front and center was the tear bit and you know that that was like oh okay so they're showcasing this for that particular reason so that must be why and you know i think in hindsight now it just happened to be it was a sequence they could show that showed something a little different also didn't show off too much of where they were what was going on sort of thing you know and yeah that's fine but yeah unfortunately it does set sort of standards and precedents for what you expect um yeah i'm not gonna sit here and say no you know i wasn't disappointed by that being you know there wasn't more variety in terms of gameplay but i understand it i i think i just look at the way the game is structured the way it's paced and you know having to balance that with this you know bigger world um you know a different kind of narrative I find it more forgivable. You know, I, I just think that they're the sacrifices you have to make. You know, keep it similar, comfortable, add a few little flourishes here and there, and then really attack on the thing you, you know, based you know your whole thing on in the first place, which is the talking, the conversations, the getting to know people, and um, that driving the story. You know, that's why, you know, as much as it is about. Yeah, the supernatural stuff and all this it doesn't work without that conversation system and the way the characters are acted out you know here especially where they are you know so much better you know than characters do you know all very very good in general in the original game but here it just feels effortless and you know easy going in a way i mean it's the, you can see the through line from oxen free to after party to this in terms of the conversation system yeah, I think After Party doesn't get the credit it deserves in what it's done for making Oxen Free too great in a lot of ways. But you know, I think it just it that game also kind of suffers from like not being Oxen Free and not being what people wanted next, and you know that's always the problem with a sophomore effort. Um, whereas this is, you know, this is the game where they go, oh, you know, we figured this out. You know, it's not too dissimilar to what we talked about with Frictional, um, with the whole Amnesia of the Dark Descent, great, you know, like that, and then Soma was good, but then it had this fatal flaw that people attacked it for, and they learned from it, and then, you know, in, incorporated that into the next game, which, you know, not everyone got on board with, not everyone was a fan of, but you could appreciate why they went in that direction, and why they took things the way they did, and yeah, so I think with Lost Signals, you are getting that experience here, where it's like, we took the criticism on board. We also wanted to see what we could do. The weight of the original was still there. And we made something that was fundamentally the same, different in little ways. But we took that one key thing, the writing, story, and pushed it in a new direction. And... To build off of something that you said a minute ago, um, in terms of just the overall like animations and whatnot, I was mm. within the first 15 minutes of this game, I'm completely blown away by the production value again. In yeah. terms of these, again, it had the game follows the same camera style where it is, you know, pushed out farther than some people maybe would want. And, you know, that was one of the things we mentioned with the original game, which it was like, oh, that takes a little bit of time to get used to because it's like, oh, I love this whole canvas of this world and these characters. I want to zoom in more, but I can't, damn. And I didn't have that same sort of, 
gut reaction to diving into Oxenfree 2 mm. because I think it's more in tuned to that camera style because the characters are so expressive in a way that you can yeah. tell to a degree that I never once was like, oh, I wish I could zoom in more to this because the camera does push in just ever so slightly on specific moments. But more importantly, it does that when a character's reacting to something. So like yeah. early on, Riley comes across a store that's on fire. And when she walks up to the store, like the character puts their hands up like to cut shield their face and yeah. whatnot. Like little touches like that, or it goes so far as to go from just like the uh, character movements to also the auditory design or the sound design in that there's a sequence when Riley and Jacob break into, you know, that store um, and uh, they go inside of the building, but the camera lingers outside and doesn't yeah. show you the interior. And it's not only the fact that, you know, you see their shadows moving inside, but their voices sound slightly muffled almost because mm. of the fact that there's this barrier between the camera and the action, that being the exterior of the building. And that like was one of those little details that really did blow me away mm. because of the pristine level of detail in a detail like that. That's so small that they could have very easily left out and I probably wouldn't even noticed. I wouldn't have been like, oh, that's weird. It's like I'm in the room with them or that type of thing. But like you tend to appreciate those little moments when they catch you off guard. And I found this game is littered with little moments like that that really do show a great deal was learned, I think, between the development time of Oxenfree 1 and 2 in terms of not just having like with the sequel, the tendency is to be like, we're just going to do bigger and better, right? That old methodology. Whereas with this game, it was more about refining what worked really well in the original mm. and continuing that, but just pushing it that much further. And it wasn't that, oh, we that if we're doing a sequel, we have to have just, you know, double the types of uh, or double the number of ghostly interactions or something like that. You know what I mean? They don't go that route because then that fundamentally sort of rewrites what Oxenfree is, which is yeah. not shifting the focus entirely to the ghosts, right? Or the spirits or the haunting. It's about taking those characters and making them as personable, if not more than previously, but overall just like taking what worked so well with the original and kind of pushing it that much further. But, you know, to some people, maybe they won't even notice those little details, but we certainly did. Yeah. I think you look at the um, way the game does sort of address yeah, it being a sequel and things like that, and um, you know, ghosts and things like that, it shows the impact of the first story in a really interesting way. You know, and you know, I think we'll be getting into it soon. You know, in terms of like revelations in this game, you know, there's you know a midway section in this game that kind of hits you with a couple of punches like that, and one of them relating to the original game that is genuinely a bit of a sucker punch considering the endings you can get in that game and it just again goes back into that sense of inevitability you know? and yeah I was blown away by that aspect of it that they weren't going for the overblown you know hey here's these kooky characters back you had before and you know, I think it's hard to see that now because you know, we have so much media that does just sort of drag people back from near death yeah. Uh, you know, to star in some new vehicle or whatever, you know, and it gets to ridiculous degrees at times. And, you know, that was kind of my big concern coming into this game was like, I want it to be a new story, but I also kind of want to know what really went on beyond the end of the last game. 
like that because it while it suggested that you know there's a resolution of sorts and they got away and all this stuff it was just a little horribly nasty cruel tease about it <laughs> towards the end where it's it kind of suggests it's not all as rosy as it seems and you know this game certainly answers some questions in that regard well we can get into it now because that was definitely something that I struggled with when I was about close to the conclusion. It's probably the point where, you know, you find out, okay, we have to go back to Edwards Island. Mm. And I, at one point was like, I have to applaud them for the fact that they really did starve off the ideal thing that most people would probably assume that they were going to do, which was like, oh, we got to get the original cast back right away. Yeah. We have to send people back to Edwards Island. We we knew we were going to go back to Edwards Island at some point. Yeah. So the fact that it's paced as well as it is in getting there, I was really pleased with because it allowed Oxenfree 2 to really be its own game on its own merits for a majority of its playtime. Mm. And then the fact that they're able to still deliver a sucker punch like that at the very end of the, you know, the last chapter of the game, essentially. And it does come out of nowhere because of the fact that they have given Oxenfree 2's story and the new characters their own, you know, freedom to tell that tale in a way that is unique to them that, you know, is complemented by the previous game, but it's not reliant on it, which I think is really, really important for how they attack this. But for you, like, how did the conclusion work for you as well as it did? Like, what about it really allowed that to be a nice sort of one-two punch of the old with the new? Right. So it's going to be a bit of a back and forth in terms of the story here. So from this point on, pretty spoilerific. So if you don't want to know more about this, you haven't played it yet, this is the point you might want to just not get into it. Okay. Still here. It's on you now. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, I think really it all begins from that sort of one-two punch of, uh, you know, introduction, introduction, fucking hell, it's not even a word. Uh, introduction of um, Alex returning to the game, but in a way that's like suddenly kind of shocking because like I said, the original game suggests that they got out of that whole situation. And yeah, you know, the revelation is that no, from pretty much from the beginning, they were fucked. They were stuck in that loop. Everything you did in that original game is basically for nothing, you know, like that. And while that would frustrate people in, in many ways, you know, it made them think, what the fuck is it? What was that all for then? I, I love it because it just goes back to what I was saying earlier about inevitability. Now, everybody's story here is about some kind of inevitability, you know, whether it be Jacob's kind of begrudging acceptance that he's going to be a resident of Camille for the rest of his life and, you know, be very, live a very humble life and, you know, or whether it be for Olivia just her acceptance that you know, no matter what she wants to see her parents again she'll do anything you know, and whatever that means and for Riley I think the biggest one you know, here is that you know, we get the revelation that she is pregnant you know, uh, during this which um, quite fittingly goes back to what I was saying about amnesia uh, and uh, mm-hmm. the, fact the third game that that game also had that revelation come up in, in the middle of the game and that in itself it could have been done really clumsily. And it could have been used as a peril situation. But, you know, we get the flash forwards, you know, we get to see her son at different ages, you know, in various sections. 
and yeah, there's a hope. Oh, he gets yeah, his presence is basically there to say, "You survived this. Yeah, yeah, you get through this. I am born. You can get past this. That, that's it. And, yeah, that's a wonderful echo." But at the same time, you have this horrible thing in the background where you keep getting nods towards Riley's alcoholism. Yeah, and the problem she has with that, and mm-hmm. the constant suggestions that you know you get through this, but you're not going to beat that problem. It's going to affect your relationship with your son. Things are going to go wrong, like that. You can't avoid it. Is basically what the story says. And yet she continues because you know she wants her son to live and carry on and do things like that. And it makes the end of the game. All that more bittersweet, I think, where you had this whole thing of, you know, she's done what she's done, they've all got out of it to a degree. And, you know, obviously there's more than one choice. But in the choice I found, you know, where, as we sort of alluded to earlier, you get a choice between, you know, Riley, Jacob, or Olivia to sort of keep on one side of the portal to ensure that it gets closed, but they obviously can't come back. Now, Olivia makes a really good case in this bit where she's basically saying, look, I was promised I would see my parents if I stayed here and I did this. I'm going to do it like that. And, you know, she really pushes the point. You know, it's not like a... It's not naivety at that point. It's very much just certainty. And she's like, I have nothing else if I stay but on the other side. You know, and you, Riley, you have a child. You know, and it's that. You know, and one of the funniest things about that is just that Jacob doesn't speak during that bit. He doesn't bring himself mm-hmm. up to offer. He doesn't argue against it. He doesn't say anything like that. He is quiet throughout it. And it's so fitting for the character like that. Because he's kind of scared of anyone sort of turning around and going, well, yeah, why don't you? Sort of thing. Almost. And, and, yeah, and he would feel terrible because he'd look at himself and go, well, you know, she's young and she's got a life ahead of her. She's having a child. I'm doing nothing, and um, it would. So he, he, he almost cowardly, kind of doesn't bring himself forward in that situation. But yeah, you know, yeah. Olivia was my choice as a result because it felt inevitable. You know, it felt yeah. that that was the way it had to be. You know, and the, everything the story has done to that point has forced you to that point. I think, and to go against it is just being a bit brash and just. Yeah. Now I get why that it feels a little would, artificial, almost. If yeah, you go against picking her, exactly. And while ordinarily that would be like a really shit way of doing a choice-based game, where only one person really feels like the person who should be being put forward. Like I said, everything has been pushed to make that the case, where it's like it's pointing out the fact you don't really have a choice over some things. You know, sometimes things are just what they are supposed to be. And you've got to accept it. And that is the other half of this game, acceptance. Um, you had the grief in the first game you know, that Alex had, longing and wanting people back. And you know, Olivia kind of has the same thing. Riley's is you know, kind of in reverse because you know she's grieving for what she knows will be, you know, will be the case in the future. Um, but also to get there, she has to accept what's going on now and accept that that's what will happen you know that her son will live she will probably not last that long um and she will never beat her own demons but she makes that acceptance and you know goes out to that point 
And when I was going to talk earlier about, you know, you get that bit at the end with all the, this percentage of players chose this and whatever. Here it's presented in story form as like a box of things that, Ale that uh, you know, Alex who gets to come back, you know, and all that group gets to come back as a result of closing the tear. And, you know, the box is sent to, I believe the two variants are either to Riley's father, which he had like a problem with and, you know, and lots of things there, um, or to Rex, her son. And then I, I had the Rex bit and, you know, there's all these little trinkets. And little things and like the tone of the letter that Alex sends basically it says you know it's like it, it shows you the doom of what happened it's like clearly Riley and Rex don't talk they don't you know that he has a very strong opinion of what she is and who she is and everything that's shown in that box uh, you know and everything she says to say you know like you may think of your mother like this but you know know that she did this because of you like that and I believe that just basically then feeds back into when Riley does meet Rex when he's older, mm -hmm. you know, earlier in the game, like that. And he gives her that pep talk that is so matter of fact. And so. That was a fantastic sequence, by the I way. I mean, yeah. I mean, the two it, of them on, the, on the, um, the dock while he's fishing and just like having a back and forth with your yeah. adult son who's yet to be born. I thought it was that was, entire sequence was such an, a stellar example of just, again, the writing. Uh, yeah, night school studios. My God. Yeah, I mean, and the way it loops round when mm -hmm. you think, come back to it is that you know you pick up on the fact that he's not like really happy to see her really in that sense, but he's he almost feels like he's had that knowledge recently, and he's looking at it and going, you know, he's talking to her in a way that is very matter of fact, very casual. There's love there, and kind of, and again, an acceptance of who she was as a person. And you know, a forgiveness, maybe even to that, and yeah, it's just a really, you know, touching scene. I think just the whole th thing that going back to that, the whole thing at the end, like I said earlier, it just really makes the game feel whole, um, because like I said, it did something really fascinating with the choice-based system where it wasn't as prevalent, it wasn't as in your face as, you know, you made this decision, blah, blah, so it changed everything, blah, 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 like the first game did, which, you know, is made kind of redundant by the fact that you are told, you know, your choices didn't really matter anyway because mm -hmm. it was all just head fuckery. And, yeah. yeah, all of a sudden, everything just clicks into place and you, you know, I read it in reviews, actually, some reviews sort of saying, it gives you a real fresh appreciation for what happened in the first game and, you know, what the whole situation of the ghosts and everything is. Yeah, it just elevated both games you know, in a way that was um, really unexpected at that point. You know, I was quite into what was going on, quite enjoying it. But that, you know, final furlong was just phenomenal. Yeah, you know? mm. I think I was saying to you last week how I used to complain about the ending to Oxen Free like that and then coming back to it I was like how did I ever you know sort of thing <laughs> but now here it's like you know my my opinion of the ending has kind of shifted again because it's now what I felt last week was irrelevant this week uh, because of what I've learned here and it is just really fucking good really fucking good storytelling I think and just again what I said plays to the strengths they have you know they, they know how to tell a story in this way in an interactive medium in a way that 
involves you, manipulates you without you know, conning you, you know, in that very sure. sort of you know moral cheapness that you can get sometimes. And you know there were plenty of opportunities to go down a very cheap moral route, and they don't. You know, they do just keep it matter of fact and logical in places where ordinarily it would be like no no you i will gonna play my drama up and you're gonna play your drama up and then we're gonna have it make it seem like it's a really hard choice between these two things and it's like no it's fine it's like it is what it is you do what you do yeah i'm always a fan of games that give players choice but they don't they're not constructed in a way that makes the player obsess over choices you know what I mean? Like, I like the fact that Oxenfree has a very natural sort of flow with the choice making and that mm. every single decision you don't have to be, you know, hyper focused on it, or, you know, granted, it helps when you have a limited amount of time to respond to things. But I think overall, you know, it's nice to be making choices in a sporadic nature rather than yeah. almost kind of like pre-planning your answers for I want to go this route or this route. I want to be... Yeah kind or I want to be, you know, aggressive kind of thing. Mm. And with a game such as this, that, again, does not overly rest on the narrative laurels, if you will, of the previous game, but you can get even more appreciation by the conclusion of it for the previous game, and I suppose the series as a whole at this point, um, is really a testament to just the ability of, I think overall, for me, it's not only just, you know, Night School Studios commitment to crafting narratives that feel very personal, that feel um, that they, you know, truly take player choice into consideration. But overall, I think that it's the way that you really should do these standalone sequels that by the end of it, if you hadn't played the original for whatever reason, you sure as shit are probably going to go back and replay it now just so you get an even more appreciation for what's happening. But even if you were to, let's say, take that experience of the original game from somebody that, you know, like us, that has played both of them, I still feel like you get the same sort of emotional impact of what's happening, despite if you have all that knowledge. Granted, for us, it's even more uh, heightened. And if anything, that reality of like, oh, we thought we won, you know, big air quotes for winning in the previous game. Yeah. And we didn't actually. Like, that doesn't end up being a point of annoyance or being like, oh, that doesn't matter. If anything, that's like the most horrifying thing that's happened in this series thus far is that you you we have gone on in the last, you know, six or seven years since the last game and we're like, oh, that had a pretty happy ending, varying degrees based on whatever decisions yeah. you made. And then to hit that moment where it's like, oh no, they've been stuck in this loop or this yeah. realm all that time. Like that kind of gives it a morose sort of like pin drop, if you will, mm. uh, to the ending of the game, while at the same time being ecstatic at the realization that, hey, we just freed these people that have been living in this loop, whether they knew it or not, um, you know, for all those years and whatnot. And that was a really interesting experience, I think, thinking about the period of time between the first game and the sequel, and then having a realization of like, oh, they were in this limbo state for all that time. Like, yeah. that was a really... That was a really shocking aspect of this game for me that I wasn't anticipating to be nearly as affecting as it was because it kind of like made me pause at that realization and just be like, oh, yeah, okay. But not have that visceral reaction of like, oh, so all my decision making was bullshit in the last game. It's more just like taps into almost like that Twilight Zone magic, if you will, where it's just like you have these people that you know and they made these decisions that you think are going to benefit them. And then at the end of the day, they just are, you know, 
a victim of circumstance or a victim of their own decisions. And they're in this sort of infinite loop that's not always, let's say, like hell, but it is this loop that's never ending, which yeah. can then become a different type of hell. Well, this is the thing, you know, I think what helped that is there was always a sense of doubt about it, just because, you know, we, we were talking last week you know, about the fact that if you restart the original game, you know, in, with certain permutations, you can send a message through. To oh, the that's game true. I never did that. And <laughs> nullify the loop. But, you know, obviously that's not the canon ending, but the, that basically implies that if you don't do that, the loop just continues. So you aren't ever escaping. You know, you are just going round and round in circles. And it was always there, but it's just enough doubt to suggest, eh, well, yeah, maybe that's just an alternative way of what the, the way things went. But it was there in this New Game Plus type thing where you could just end it like that. And that again, like I said, just makes you appreciate that game more when you look back and go, and I'm glad to have played these in close proximity now, just because it's made it a really wonderful experience for both games, I think. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the Metal Gear fan of me again, I think, just sort of looking at it and going, yep, yeah, there you go, the subversions of a sequel and, you know, the whole thing about choice from the Matrix, you know, and like the illusion of choice is, Two things that are very simple and very much, you know, me um, make sense you know, to have it shown in these ways in this game. I, I was uh, delighted that it turned out the way it did. It really did. And, you know, some of the stuff that we were speculating just to be like, oh, you know, granted, when Netflix acquired them, they were already in development in these things. Like, how much influence could they have? And it was really great to just. Be, finally be delivered a sequel that it checked all the boxes of what made the original so special but if anything yeah. it heightened a majority of the aspects granted i have one or two reservations but i think overall it's the type of sequel that you know you want to see it doesn't drastically fundamentally rewrite the type of experience if anything it shows that they've had a great deal of uh, sort of just in learning, I think, between something like After Party and then, of course, in the development of continuing Oxen Free and just seeing the evolution of what they learned and not necessarily changing things too fundamentally, but just making them even stronger and making it really this type of experience that you could recommend to anybody because of the fact that mm. it's not entirely reliant on the original game. But of course, you would hope that if they were to dive into the second game, it would be a primer to then go back replay the original, and then you get an even bigger appreciation for what you just played. Um, but yeah, Oxenfree was two. Was Lost Signals was definitely a game we've been waiting a good while to play, and we finally got the chance to do it. Um, and I think, you know, we're definitely looking forward to whatever Night School Studios does next. It's um, really good to see it turn out the way it did. I'm so glad it's not quite expected uh, out of it. You know, I think it's just a nice surprise in so many ways. And yeah, I think we we can agree that there are things that may irk and may bug people, including us. But yeah, I don't think there's ever a game that's been, you know, air quotes perfect. You know, sure. That, that that hasn't had its flaws. You know, I, I most of my favourite games are games that have fundamental flaws in some ways, but they're doing mm -hmm. something interesting. And I really was so surprised to come out this thinking, yeah, I. I I like this a lot, you know, and, you know, that was my anticipation going in. Obviously, it was like, I'm really hyped for this, really excited for this, 
and uh, for once it was nice to sort of play a game on my own time you know with a bit more relaxed schedule with it but yeah it's just it's always nice when a sequel does that you know when you go into it you're watching something or playing something because it's a sequel to something you really loved and it does something you didn't expect you know and you understand why that turns people off because they wanted thing a but you you're there looking at going yeah no i didn't know i wanted this but this is it i want this you know and yeah i think we've talked about on many different games whatever you know over the years that you know when you do get that it's the best thing ever because it just it feels like you've got the experience all over again in a way you know it's like here's the thing you like and you're always worried about well can i ever get kind of the same feeling again you know it's like and you know oxford free too i think i did in a different way i just got that fresh feeling again of like of excitement about it you know it took longer to get there for this one i must admit but as i said that's because you need the whole picture you know to be shown before you can really appreciate what it does and what it does for the, the original as well yeah, well, especially when you and I have been playing games as long as we've been playing games, it's nice to get a nice little surprise once in a while, something yeah. that kind of bucks your expectations in a way that you couldn't really have uh, foreseen and whatnot. But that's going to do it for our Oxenfree 2 chat, and we will be back next week for our edition of the inventory, which we're mm. going to detail a whole mess of both AAA and indie horror games that were released in the month of July. And we will be back to uh, chat about that next week but uh until then neil as always it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room back at you until next time thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show please rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter at safe room pod for show updates you can follow our twitter account for horror bites also at horror bites underscore sr you can join our discord channel safe room podcast to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love and last but not least you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.